Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Scripture reading for today comes from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4 and 6 to 8. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you, enduring foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I set before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel text for this morning is the familiar passage that we've come to call the Beatitudes, which appear in the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel. Those words called us to worship this morning. Seeing that the people were ready to listen, Jesus sat down on the mountain and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the realm of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called God's own children. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the realm of heaven. Our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our hearts are open. Speak to us, O God. We are ready to listen and eager to live. Jesus concluded these beloved words with this affirmation. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For even so, in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Those words that called us to worship this morning are the first words of Jesus' public ministry, according to the Gospel of Matthew. 
And though, of course, we can't really know exactly how Jesus' ministry began, it's easy to see why those powerful things he had to say about blessing came to be engraved in our memory of him in an especially deep way, almost like poetry. The name we've given to those words, the Beatitudes, Beata being the Latin word for blessed, that word describes not only their content, but how we feel about them. But what does Jesus mean when he singles out particular groups of people who are having particular experiences of life and calls them blessed? The idea of blessing has become a murky one in our time. These days we toss it around pretty lightly. I was late for my dentist appointment, so what a blessing to find a parking place right in front. Or, we were blessed with great weather on the day of the picnic. Huh, must have not been in Michigan. (laughs) In cases like that, obviously, what we're trying to say is that we feel lucky that things went as we hoped they would or as we needed them to when they could easily have gone the other way. Things get especially tricky at times like Thanksgiving, when we gather around the table to give thanks to God for blessings such as home and family, health and food and shelter. When our life is full of good things that support and nurtures us, it inspires gratitude, which really is one of the noblest human emotions. And people who live their lives, as we're trying to do, in relationship to God, are inclined to express gratitude toward God because God is at the epicenter of our sense of the meaning and value of life. God is the direction in which we lean when we feel deep joy or fulfillment. But as we express gratitude, if we're believing that God gives us those things for some reason, well then how do we understand that other people do not have them to enjoy? If blessing is given, is it also withheld? Now, I don't claim to know the mind of God in these things, but where the unequal distribution of the bounty of creation and the well-being that everybody craves are concerned, I do tend to hold imperfect and sometimes willfully corrupt human systems responsible for that, not God. In fact, I think that one of our core beliefs is that God wants bounty and well-being for every one of us around every table in every household, and that it's our task as people who hold God at the center of our lives to help express God's desire actively by, for instance, doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly to transform blessing from a set of nouns we collect to a verb that God has enlisted us to enact. And in fact, isn't that exactly what Jesus was saying in the very first public word he ever spoke? Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he says. Not just the one whose tables or pockets or lives are full, 
but especially the ones who know something about emptiness or loss or struggle. Now, there are a lot of different kinds of poverty in this world. There's the poverty of resources, to be sure, but there's also poverty of relationship, poverty of prospects, poverty of imagination. It's so interesting, isn't it, that Jesus chose the phrase poor in spirit. He never explains what he means. But it seems to take in so many kinds of privation that we humans experience and sometimes impose on each other. Almost as though he's saying, whatever you may be lacking or longing for, if you're aware of a hole near the center of your life, then God holds you in a special way. And what is that way? What is blessing? What does it mean to be blessed? Sometimes the way we use that word, it seems to mean fortunate. Scholars say that an apt synonym for the Greek word makarios is happy or content. But really, happy are the poor in spirit? Content or fortunate are those who mourn, those who are persecuted? If we really believe that God cares for us all equally and not some more than others, then none of those ways of understanding what it means to be blessed quite work, do they? Because God may care for everyone, but not everyone is happy. Even, as a matter of fact, as you may have noticed, even some of the ones whose lives are full to overflowing. But I do think that there's a word that we might hear in the marrow of the meaning of Jesus' first public word. The word beloved. Beautiful word. As in beloved are the poor in spirit. Beloved are those who mourn those who are persecuted, those who build peace or hunger for justice. Beloved are they, which is to say, held in the fathomless love of God. Now, what Jesus is saying, of course, flies directly in the face of our obsession with measuring. For the likes of us, there's a trap lurking in the idea of blessing that we won't see if we have on the self-reflected lenses we almost always wear in our society, which magnify our tendency to compare who has it, who doesn't, and how much. I think what Jesus is saying is that for those whose circumstances have stripped them of some of the comforts and supports and security that all of us would like to count on in this life, their leaning toward God may awaken them to the truth that they are beloved of God in a way that is particular to their struggles. Not more than other people, but in a way that Jesus thinks God will make especially vivid for them the way 
an embrace from a friend lands in a deeper place in your own heart when it's broken than when all is well, even if the love between you is constant. Beloved of God are the poor in spirit, Jesus says. And he is asking them to believe, to feel and know that in their need, they hold a special place in God's own heart, that God beckons them to come close and live in the shelter of God's company. So part of our spiritual work in a society that is obsessed with wealth and comfort and status and power is to wrap our minds and our consciences too, particularly, around the memory that Jesus said, first of all, that the poor in spirit are beloved of God. And to ask ourselves what the implications might be for us of God's holding the poor in spirit in that relationship. It's not hard to understand then why the rest of what he said on that hillside stuck in the religious imagination, not only of those who heard it, but of everyone they ever told about it all the way down to us. How it must have startled them to hear him pronounce blessing not only upon the poor in spirit, which is already just about everybody, at least sometimes, but upon those whose particular circumstances had left them bereft or alone or distressed. These are not the ones who look blessed. But look at them again, he says, as his eyes scan the margins of the social fabric of his world. Look at them again and see that they are blessed, all part of God's pattern of holding, God's holding pattern, God's habit of loving, never exclusively, but always particularly. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he said. Beloved of God are those whose lives have left them vulnerable because they are invited to find shelter in God's own heart, not alone, but particularly Make sure they know that, he seems to whisper. Make sure you know that. And blessed are those who mourn. Held in the love of God are those who somehow find the courage and the tenacity to pick up their aching love and carry it back into life, back into time, telling the honest truth of how sometimes love is such an ache. They will discover, he says, that it is possible to hold loss and life together in the same heart. Hearts are big enough for that. Help them believe that, he seems to whisper. Believe it yourself. Try it. Blessed are the meek, he said. Held in the love of God are those who live gently among us. No more than my space, no less than my place. Those gentle, generous ones 
belong to the earth, and the earth belongs to them. Show them how true that is, he whispers. Let them show you. Blessed are the merciful. Held in the love of God are those who are generous when they have every reason to be bitter. Beloved of God are those who open the door when no one could blame them for slamming it shut. Held in the love of God are those who see the whole beauty of human family in every splintered piece of it. The love they give will come back to them a thousandfold, he promises. You know that, he seems to whisper, because you've loved them yourself. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Held in the love of God are the ones whose ability to imagine justice, to envision peace, to conceive of respectful love is so real and embodied that it gnaws in the pit of their stomachs and throbs in their heads like hunger and thirst. Beloved of God are those who feel the choking dryness of inequality in their throats and the parchedness of prejudice on their tongues. They shall keep the joyful feast at the table of peace where bread and justice are served. Come from east and west and from north and south, he says, full voice now, come and join them there. And blessed are those who are persecuted, held in the love of God, are those who find it costly to hold God as God holds them. The ones who endure the jealousy of those who make the mistake of thinking that God's love is scarce. And the anger of those who know that the power they hoard is no match for the integrity of love and justice. Their place is with God and God's place is with them. Rejoice and be glad, he says, just as he finishes his very first words. Rejoice and be glad. Count your blessings if you must. But look around you too and count the blessed. To take your place in the holding pattern of God's fathomless love Well, that's what heaven is. And who could ever forget those words? Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org.
See you next week for another sermon from First Press.